podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Monday after a weekend of people speculating and rumour-mongering and cry-arsing and all the usual things that happen on social media of a weekend. Uh, let's get a couple of things squared away straight off. Jordan Henderson is not going to Saudi Arabia. He is not considering going to Saudi Arabia, it's unlikely he even has an offer to go to Saudi Arabia. It's just lazy media speculation. Stephen Gerrard knows Jordan Henderson very well. He knows Henderson's personality. He knows what's important to Henderson. And in all likelihood, a quick text exchange between the two of them would leave Gerrard in little doubt that Jordan Henderson's not going to pack up and move his young family to Saudi Arabia. Not when Jordan Henderson has done as much as he has for, you know, people's basic rights. Henderson is also somebody that cares deeply about his own image. So he knows it would be a bad look to go to Saudi Arabia. He also wants to play for England in the Euros. That's his driving factor. He wants to play for England in major tournaments. So he's not going to take himself out of where Gareth Southgate might see him play and go to Saudi Arabia, where even Southgate is unlikely to take a player to a major tournament from South Africa, from, from Saudi Arabia. Like Henderson can play in England and play badly or play in England and not play a whole bunch and Southgate will still pick him. I don't think Southgate would pick him from Saudi. So let's just... Ignore that rumour. Jordan Henderson is not going to Saudi Arabia. Thiago might, but it does appear like Turkey is more likely at this point. Now, there wouldn't be as much money from Turkey for him or for the club, but it's probably a more favourable move in terms of the calibre of the league. Galatasaray do seem to be putting together a pretty decent team. And there's other good teams in that league, like Trabzonspor, like Besiktas, Fenerbahce, even though they've had up and down seasons, will remain a good team. Istanbul, Besiktas are pretty good. There's quality in that league. And we have seen a number of Spanish players over the years go over there because it's a good lifestyle. And... They do pay well, not as well as they get paid. They, they pay in Saudi Arabia, obviously, but they do pay pretty well. So, Thiago, I could see leaving. And I've said before, I, my personal choice 
would be to extend his contract, keep him, and use him like, you know, 15 to 20 starts a season across the different competitions, have him as a mentor to young players, have him as one of the senior heads in the squad, one of the leaders of the squad, someone that can actually help sculpt and direct the next stage of Liverpool Football Club and what the club wants to be and what the club can become. This is a guy who's been at Barcelona and Bayern. He knows what it is to operate at the elite level. He's been a great player his entire career. He knows what that entails. He knows what's required to continue to perform at that world-class level for years and years and years. That would be my preference. Liverpool are not going to extend his contract. And personally, I've just gotten sick of watching us let money walk out the door and then cry poor mouth because Liverpool can only spend what they generate. We've seen far too many players allowed to leave for free. So if you're not going to extend a player or you know the player isn't going to extend, the smart thing to do is sell them a year before the contract expires. The same reason Joel Matip should be sold. Now, Matip is not as good a player as Thiago, never has been of Thiago's level, but has been a good player for us over the years. But in the last 15 months or so, his form has dipped. So you should be looking to sell Joel anyway, given his age, the dip in form, and the fact that he's not a first-choice player, and that money could be used to invest in somebody that maybe could develop into a first-choice player at some point. But this thing of clinging on to players and letting them write out their contracts and then letting them leave for free has cost us, I don't know, probably 100, 120 million. When you factor in players like Sadio, who we allowed to run down their contract to one year and then sold them purely because they said they wanted to leave, we probably cost ourselves another 30 or 40 million on that type of deal. And then we cry poor mouths. And then we turn around and say, oh, we can't afford to do this. We can't afford to do that. Sure, we don't have any money. We can only spend what we bring in. We're not Man City. We're not United. We're not this club or that club. We have to operate this way. Right, that's fine. Then be smarter about it and sell players before they reach the end of their contracts. You're telling me you couldn't have got 20 million for Naby Keita last summer? Of course you could. Couldn't have got... 10 to 15 for Oxlade-Chamberlain last summer? Absolutely you could. Couldn't have got 25 million for Ginny Wijnaldum a year before he left? Of course you could. Couldn't have got 20-odd million for Emre Chan the year before he left for free? Of course you could. Couldn't have got 15, 20, 25 million for Divock Origi at any point after his Champions League final goal up until he left for free? Of course you could. Like, there's over 100 million straight away. Albi Moreno left for free. Lalana left for free. Just allowed to hang around the place, not contributing anything on the pitch, taking up a big wage, and then leave for free rather than selling the player with a year left on the contract and 
being able to replenish the squad, Moreno would have funded his own replacement, which ultimately was Costas. But look how long it took us to get Costas. Moreno was gone a year before we got Costas. So if we let Thiago leave for free next summer, we don't have any money to replace Thiago. If we sell him this summer and we get 20 million, 15, 20 million, then that can go towards a replacement for him. It might not be somebody who's ready-made to replace him straight away, but it could be somebody that long-term is a very valuable piece for the club. Not a Thiago-level player because there's been a handful of those in the last 10 to 15 years, but a young midfielder with a high upside who you could develop. And worst-case scenario, you sell them at a profit in a couple of years after getting the benefits of having had them in your squad. So it could be that you put it towards a Kefren Turam or you go and you buy a Hayden Hackney or an Alex Scott and you develop them. They're not Thiago, but they'll be more beneficial to you over the next four years than he will because he'll only be here for one year. And the other factor with Thiago is he doesn't really fit the new shape. Simple as that. I've seen people float the idea of a Trent Thiago double pivot. And what happens when we lose the ball? Then what do we do? Who's winning the ball back? Oh, Thiago's got great defensive numbers. He does. He does. You know what else he has? A shit ton of injuries because we used him like David Batty. Because we sent him out to try and win every ball back because Henderson's scared to tackle and Fabinho can't run. So Thiago had to go around lumping into people and getting himself hurt. Not exactly the smartest thing in the world, is it? He'll be injured by mid-September doing that and we'll not see him again till December. And then he'll play a handful of games. He'll get hurt again. It'll be March. He'll come back. He'll get hurt again and it'll be the summer and his contract will be up. And over the course of the season, he'll have played maybe 20 games for you. Because that's a, ba- that's a bad role for him. That's a really poor fit for him. He can't play the Trent role, regardless of people's trying to suggest it, because he can't drop into right back when we lose the ball. He just can't. And in the two advanced roles, we've just signed Dominic and we've just signed Alexis. And while neither of them are as good as Thiago is right this moment and might never be, They're fit, they're available, and they suit those roles better than he does because they're more attacking players than he he is. Thiago is incredible in the middle third of the pitch. And when he moves into the final third, he can be very impactful. But if he starts in the final third, especially in those eight positions, I don't know what you're going to get from him. Because he hasn't really played in those positions a whole lot. It's a long time since he's been used in that way. Like, you'd have to go back to when he was at Barcelona. Now, if you're saying to me, Thiago and Alexis rotate left side, Dominic and Curtis rotate right side, great. Great. But again, he's going to leave in a year for free because we're not going to extend him. 
because we're not going to give contracts to players that age, that expensive and that injury prone after the disastrous contract that was given to Jordan Henderson two years ago. We're not going to do that again. And people have said, oh, he might take a pay cut. Why? Why would he take a pay cut? Why would he do that? He doesn't have some deep connection to the club. He might enjoy being at the club. He doesn't have some deep connection to the club. And if he gets offered five times the money to go play somewhere else, he's almost certainly going to take that. If he's going to take a pay cut to go anywhere, it'll be back to Barcelona. On to the main Liverpool websites. Uh, This is Anfield's lead piece. Liverpool's response to doomed Bellingham pursuit emphatic, but plans still to execute. That was written by David Lynch, who's now writing regularly for This is Anfield. That's a great get for them. But David Lynch should be writing for one of the national newspapers. David Lynch and Neil Jones are currently freelancing and working for themselves and working for multiple different outlets because of cutbacks in other areas. And if you look at the national outlets and you look at who their Merseyside reporters are, other than Paul Joyce, is there any of them who are better than Lynch or Jones in terms of reporting, in terms of their ability to actually write, which is kind of important. And they're both better writers than Paul Joyce's. But in terms of their ability to source a story, who's better than them other than Joyce? They both have real contacts at the club. They're also more in tune with the fan base than these other journalists are. You're telling me Dom King is better than either of these? Chris Bascombe, who writes about Liverpool once in a blue moon, is better than these? Jimbo? Dave Maddock? Andy Hunter? They're not better than... Not now. A few years ago, they were really good. But now it's very clear that a lot of them are out of the loop. They don't have the same kind of access at Anfield that they used to have. They don't have the same level of sources. They don't get the same calibre of story. And they don't have any real feel for the fan base. You get a lot of arrogance from some of them, talking down to the fan base. Bang in the mix, no glaring gaps, all that type of stuff. Mocking fans on Twitter who are questioning whether the club are doing enough. That's what you get from some of those. You don't get that from Lynch or from Jones. Now, are they perfect? No. But they're better than most of the dreck currently covering the club. They're both writing for This Is Anfield at the moment, which is great for This Is Anfield, which, as I've always said, is without question the best place to go for Liverpool content in the written word. But 
with respect to Matt and the team there and what they've built at This Is Anfield, David Lynch and Neil Jones should be on a national platform, not a Liverpool-centric platform. Um, six things spotted as Liverpool return for pre-season with eight senior players. Uh, firstly, Jürgen looked very, very happy and uh, said he had a brilliant summer holiday. Liverpool players who trained on the first day, Adrian Orzinski, Ramsey, who obviously joined Preston on loan, Gomez, Matip, Phillips, Fabinho, Besetic, and Darwin Nunes. Uh, obviously, like I said, Ramsey involved despite him going on loan. Uh, youngsters in the building, James Balagizzi and Melkamu Freundorf, as well as Paul Glatzel, were all present for training. Thiago was there, didn't do any training on the Saturday, and then went to the Formula One on the Sunday. So questions to be asked about whether, about why he's not training. Maybe he wasn't due to start training yet because obviously players are starting at different points. Uh, the lactate test took place. Uh, we're still pretending that James Milner won it every year, I see. And the disrespect of Ginny Wijnaldum is, is genuinely quite staggering. Uh, Levi Colwell speaks on transfer talks. He says he's got to speak to his family and he's got to play. I do wonder, though, like, he's obviously our top target. There's no question he's our top target. If he decides to stay at Chelsea, they're going to have made a massive play to him and made him significant guarantees about being first choice. What does that mean for Benoit Badiashile, who joined in January, was promised the sun, moon, and the sun, moon, and the stars at that point, and is going to find himself in a backup role? Now, from Caldwell's point of view, and I wrote an article on Anfieldindex.com, I think it came out Saturday, on Caldwell. If you Google... Um, Anfield Index 501 Reasons, which is obviously a reference to Levi, Levi 501s. Uh, you will find that article. You can have a read of it. Um, it's no longer showing on the main front page of the website because there's been quite a bit of content gone up. But I, I pointed a few things in there. Number one, they were more than happy to sell him last summer as part of the Kukurea deal. So that doesn't scream... You're a big part of our future. Number two, they signed Kaladu Koulibaly, who played left-side centre-back, his position. And then they signed Benoit Badiashile, who plays left-side centre-back and is also left-footed. So basically, an older player who's got a similar profile to him. None of that screams, we want to keep you. They also signed Mark Kukurea and made a big point of saying, well, he can play centre-back in a three. So, you know, that would be, again, the role that you would fill in a three, which is the left side. None of it screams, we want to keep you, you're so important to us. Now, his dad did a podcast a while back with that absolute gobshite, Alex Goldberg, 
where he said, oh, yeah, no, he 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 really idolized uh, John Terry. And like. You could tell even half listening to that, that he was making it up as he went along, because nobody's going to come out and say on a like, no. Let's just say, as an example. Curtis Jones's dad did an Anfield Index podcast and was asked about Curtis as a youngster. And let's just say Curtis had grown up a blue. Now, obviously, he didn't. But his dad's not going to come out and say, oh, yeah, no, he, he, he idolized Tim Cahill. Absolutely idolized him. He's going to say he grew up wanting to be Steven Gerrard. So anyone going on a Chelsea podcast to talk about their kid who's been in the Chelsea Academy since they were eight is going to say they idolised Terry, Lampard or Drogba or Hazard. One of those four, depending on what kind of position they played, or Ashley Cole as a fullback, or Petr Cech or Thibaut Courtois as a goalkeeper. They're not going to say, oh no, he actually idolised Steven Gerrard. Even though Levi Colwell himself has said he grew up idolising Stephen Gerrard. We have photographic evidence of Levi Colwell in a Liverpool shirt. And Levi Colwell's mother is a Liverpool fan. So, you know, I wouldn't pay much attention to what goes on with that type of stuff, but it's very clear he does at least have an affinity for our club. And hopefully we can spin that into something. Um... Liverpool's fixtures for the opening seven games have been confirmed. The first game first game at Anfield will be on a Saturday afternoon. So we get Chelsea away Sunday, August 13th, 4.30pm kickoff on Sky Sports. Bournemouth at home, August 19th, 3pm kickoff. Newcastle away on the 27th. At 4.30pm, also on Sky Sports. The following week, it's Villa at home on the Sunday, but it's the non-televised 2pm kickoff. Then we get Wolves away in an early kickoff on a Saturday at 12.30 on the newly rebranded TNT Sports. Europa League match day one will be Thursday, the 21st of September. Then we play West Ham at home in the non-televised 2pm slot on the Sunday. Then we get the Carabao Cup third round on the 26th and 27th. And then Tottenham, yeah, Tottenham Hotspur on Saturday, the 30th of September in the 5.30 TV slot. So... Four games on TV. The Europa League game will probably be on TV as well. And then Bournemouth, Villa and West Ham, not on TV. Us against Villa not being on TV is a little bit disrespectful to both clubs because that's two of the seven biggest clubs in England. And I'd actually argue Villa are a bigger club than a couple. They're a bigger club than Spurs, without question. Um, So two of the six biggest clubs in England. And both teams are in Europe this year but we're not on TV when we play each other. So that's weird. Um, but yeah, like, it's not not a bad start at all. Not a bad start at all. Chelsea will be tough, but Bournemouth is a game we should win. 
Toon will be tough. Villa, we should win. Wolves, we should win. I don't care who we get in the in the Europa League. We should smash them. West Ham at home, we should win. Uh, same with the Carabao Cup. Don't care who we get. We should win. And then Spurs. Who knows what kind of team Spurs will be. Um, young Liverpool winger bids farewell. Uh, Elijah Gift, who has spent six years in our academy, has bid farewell to a special club after securing a transfer to Spain. He will join Athletic Bilbao for a fee in the region of one million, which, to be fair, to get that for a 16-year-old who, you know, hadn't played um, for for the senior team and wasn't being talked about as maybe a future senior team player, isn't bad at all. I wish him all the best. It's an amazing club he's joining. I hope he does exceptionally well there. I really do hope he does exceptionally well there. Fantastic club that he's joining. A club that, for me, every club should look at and just be in awe of how they operate. And that policy of only signing players from the Basque country or with Basque parents or whose you know, footballing education was in the Basque region. It's pretty spectacular. Uh, five of our favourite Liverpool stories from this week. Let's have a look. Uh, the Reds are back. Something to think about. Uh, Liverpool evolved tactically. Does Gagan pressing still work? Um, story about Jones and Harvey Elliott winning the under-21 European Championships. Obviously, Curtis Jones... Man of the match in the semi-final, man of the match in the final, and probably England's best player, certainly one of their four best players through the tournament. In fact, I would say the five best players, in, in no order, I think you can put them whatever way you want, Curtis, Gibbs-White, Trafford the keeper, Colwell, obviously, and Taylor Howard Bellis, the other centre-back, those five, to me, were easily the five best England players. And when we get into six, seven, and eight, Anthony Gordon's name might come up, but I don't know that I'd necessarily be putting him into that group. And yet Anthony Gordon was voted player of the tournament. Ridiculous. He wasn't, wasn't anywhere close to England's best player. But Curtis, man of the match in the semi-final, man of the match in the final, credited with the goal in the final, but knew absolutely nothing about it. It's a free kick by Cole Palmer, and it just hits Curtis in the back as he tries to get out of the way of it. Um, Causes a huge deflection, which wrong-foots the keeper, and gives England the win. Now, whether they deserve the win or not, I'm not sure. I think a draw was probably fair in the final. Spain got that late penalty and missed. But I do think a draw and maybe, you know, into extra time penalties, that might have been fairer. But look, England get the win, win and congratulations to them, specifically to Curtis and to Harvey. Um, I just, I think Curtis was far more deserving of player of the tournament than Anthony Gordon, who I thought had a poor final and stank the place out in the semi-final. 
Uh, piece about Dominic Sabazlai and, and his attitude and how he wants to win the Europa League next season. Uh, something to count down. There's a really good piece up there about the um, the pitch being removed, the Anfield Forever walkway and the continued development of the new stand or the extended stand as it is. Uh, we won't bother with Liverpool.com. There's plenty on there you can go through yourself. On AnfieldIndex.com, uh, podcast-wise, myself and Carl did an expansion draft. So basically, the idea was there's a 21st team added to the Premier League. You can take one player from all other Premier League clubs, but it cannot be a player who's definitely part of their starting 11. So they can protect their starting 11, their first choice 11, but they can't protect anybody else. And you can take anyone else from the club. And um, Guy joined us for us. So myself, Carol and Guy all picked our teams. And mine was definitely the best. Uh, There's also a few scouts of Tommy's, uh, Jim and Jay. Back for yet another one. Always good. Give that a listen. Uh, pod, uh, article-wise, there's a piece up on Valverde, a piece on Perchers, a piece on Lavia, a piece on Darwin. Darwin's in English, by the way, been highlighted by the club in multiple videos as a little bit of a slap down to a certain gobby little journalist who's talked some drivel about him not learning English. And then there's a piece on Federico Chiesa. So that's it. That's all I've got for today. Have a good Monday. I will see you Tuesday. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.